You ready? Showtime. On May 3rd, summer starts with the fall guy. Let's do it later. Let's drink a spicy margarita. Make some bad decisions. Yes! Audiences are falling in love with the most entertaining film of the year. Fall guy. Fall guy. Fall guy. That's what the poster said. See Ryan Gosling and Emily Blunt in the movie critics say exists to make you happy. Trying to make it out? Nope. Because I don't either. It's not what I'm into right now. What are you into? Talking. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> the Fall Guy. Only in theaters May 3rd. Read it PG-13. Welcome, welcome to Fearless with Jason Whitlock. I am Jason Whitlock, your host. Uh, happy Tuesday uh, to you and yours. It's the day after Monday. Uh, we're soldiering into the week, and boy, uh, am I excited about today's show. I hope you are as well. Uh, we had an interesting Monday night football game uh, that we will start our discussion with uh, today. Uh, we'll do that with Steve Kim and Jason Brown. We'll talk about uh, Cooper Rush's performance and what it might mean for Dak Prescott. Uh, and then the second half of the show, we're going to pivot and uh, we're going to beautify the show and make the show smarter and better and easier to watch and look at uh, as we invite Shamika Michelle, uh, Tiffany Odom, Jill Savage, and Lauren Chin. Uh, onto the show. We're going to talk about the movie uh, Don't Worry Darling and we're going to talk about a video of that some group called CBC or something put out where a black woman is sitting around at a dinner table with a bunch of white women and having one of these uncomfortable conversations that everybody loves to talk about and she asked the white women would you trade places with a black person and uh, Anyway, it was stupid, but we're going to play the video and we're going to discuss it uh, with Jill Savage, Lauren Chin, and Shamika Michelle. And so uh, we'll start with some football talk, then we'll pivot to some uh, what uh, girls tripping is maybe what I want to because I, I want to. I'm coming up with reasons to bring the ladies onto the show. Uh, to diversify our conversation and get a different perspective. Uh, anyway, so I don't know if I want to call it girls tripping or what. Uh, but anyway, fantastic show planned for you today. We'll start by bringing in uh, Steve Kim and talking about uh, last night's Monday Night Football game. The Dallas Cowboys won their second straight game with backup quarterback Cooper Rush leading the Dallas Cowboys to victory. His stats were somewhat modest, but had a couple of passes not been dropped, one by C.D. Lamb and one by some rookie wide receiver, his stats could have looked really impressive. And we must remember that Jerry Jones, the owner of the Cowboys, has stated, and maybe he's just pushing out conversation, maybe he's being facetious or sarcastic, but he says like, it'd be a good problem if the Cowboys had a quarterback problem uh, when Dak Prescott, uh, had a quarterback controversy when Dak Prescott returned healthy. And we may have inched a tiny bit closer to that last night. Uh, Steve, welcome back to the show. Uh, did we move an inch closer to a potential 
quarterback controversy uh, last night in Dallas. You know, just when I thought Michael Irvin had the greatest overreaction to Cooper Rush, then I hear this. No, no. Look, this you, you. I knew you were going to do this. I'm watching this game last night, and I'm thinking, you know, Cooper Rush is okay. Did a nice job late, but I said, I wonder if Jason's going to go there. And here we are. Look, Cooper Rush did a very nice job. He's actually won two games, but this is a bad giant team. Let, let's see how we're talking about Cooper Rush after the next two weeks when they play some really good squads, I believe, Philadelphia and the L.A. Rams, and even Detroit, if it gets that far, who's a really improved team under Dan Campbell. Cooper Rush is a great placeholder. He's proving to be a quality backup. Now, I'm not saying Dak Prescott is super elite because he's not, but there are certain things with the backup quarterback that you just simply can't do and you saw how limited the game was in the first half, which was an offensive pillow fight for the first 30 minutes. But no, this this is not Danny White and Gary Hoganboom. This is not even Troy Aikman, Steve Walsh. Let, let's put that in the rest. When Dak Prescott is ready to come back, and with that $40 million contract, he will be under center for the Dallas Cowboys. Listen, the best argument is what you said at the end. Dak has a $40 million contract. <laughs> that pretty much stops any thought of a legitimate QB controversy. However, if this guy continues to win games, and he doesn't have to win them all, but if he wins enough, I do think people are going to start asking this question. I lived through this in Kansas City where there's a quarterback that's like, man, what is he? You know, is he really any good? And, and again, this is... You know what, this analogy does work because I'm not sure if Dak Prescott's any better than what Elvis Gerback was when he was the quarterback <laughs> of the Kansas City Chiefs. And, and Elvis Gerback, they had a backup quarterback by the name of Rich Gannon, undersized, mm. ran around a little bit. You didn't really know what his arm strength was. It, it was tough to figure out exactly what Rich Gannon was. But the Chiefs won when Rich Gannon played quarterback and they lost when Elvis Gerback played quarterback, and Chiefs fans wanted Rich Gannon out there as the starting quarterback. The organization was financially committed to Elvis Gerback, and they would never make the move to Rich Gannon. Lo and behold, Rich Gannon goes off to Oakland and becomes a superstar. That's not me predicting that Cooper Rush is gonna go someplace else and become a superstar, but I've just seen quarterbacks that like you're sitting there, is this guy really good or what's going on? But, but he's, the team seems to win. And the thing I, I come away with from last night's game, Steve, is if Dallas gets any kind of consistent offensive production, I think their defense is very good. I think they get after the quarterback maybe as well as any team in the National Football League. And, and they did that last night without Micah Parsons. I, I think Dallas has all the ingredients, particularly on the defensive side. They need to shore up their receiving core. I'm not really sold on C.D. Lamb as a number one receiver. But on the defensive side, they're solid. If they get, they got two good running backs in Tony Pollard and Ezekiel Elliott. If they get adequate quarterback play, this is a dangerous team. And I can see, I don't believe it. I, I'm not ready to go there, but I do think we took an inch 
forward towards a quarterback controversy. I don't think the Giants are as bad as you're making them out to be. Uh, yes, they are. Their offensive line is. And Danny Dimes, I, I'm actually surprised that our guy Jason Brown's that high on him. I think he's a bust. I think there's some athleticism, but he's not good. But going back to Dallas, a couple things. You're right about C.D. Silence of the Lambs. I don't think he's a number one. He gives me the Alvin Harper feel and not the Michael Irvin feel. Certain guys are really good as the secondary guy that can stretch the defense. But when he dropped that pass, it, it made me think of what do great players do? Because he made up for it, according to some people, with that one-handed grab. You know what the great players do, the real number ones? They make all the routine plays. It's not about the spectacular highlight real plays. It's about making the routine play at a high level every single game. Because those type of one-handed grabs, they make the highlight tape. You're right. But I want a wide receiver that gives me good game tape by catching every pass that hits them right in the numbers. The other thing, you talked about the kind of the thunder and lightning they have with Pollard uh, and Zeke. Look, Zeke gets a lot of heat because of his contract. But he still is a pretty good chain-moving running back. He can get you the tough yards, and he keeps you ahead of the sticks early downs, right? So he'll consistently get you to second and sixth. Now, if you need an explosive play, that's Pollard. But Pollard, because of his size, I don't think he's a heavy-duty 25-carry per game guy, which is fine because now you can split the carries. Look at what they did yesterday, and game flow is important. This was a relatively close game for three-and-a-half quarters. I believe they passed the ball 31 times, and they ran the ball 30. So that's about a 50-50 ratio. I think they found out something for the future. Do that with Dak. I don't believe Dak, or really a lot of quarterbacks, are meant to carry a team by just chucking that ball 40 to 45 times. Maybe even when Dak gets back, they're going to say, you know what? This phrase applies. Less is more. In other words, stay balanced. Love that argument. Agree with that argument that they are going to have to go that route with Dak. But again, that, that's a guy you're paying $40 million a year that you're basically asking to just to manage the game, don't put the game in his hands. And I'm just telling for, for fans, because really what a QB controversy is, is a conversation driven by fans, sports talk radio, opinionists, columnists, whatever, ESPN talking heads, whatever. And so it's really not a locker room controversy as much, even though with that Gerback Gannon illustration, there was a locker room controversy. And there could be one here because of the contract. Because again, if we're paying a guy 40, but we're treating him like we're only paying him 25, Inside that locker room, why are they paying Dak all this money when, when, we, when he's basically being asked to do the same things as Cooper Rush? Cooper Rush last night, 21 of 31, 215 yards, and a TD. If he doesn't have the C.D. Lamb drop, which was atrocious, and yeah. then I think the other guy's name's Jalen Tolbert. Yeah, some, some rookie Jalen Tolbert. He had a huge drop that I couldn't believe Troy Aikman and those guys didn't make a big deal of it last night. It was a hell of a throw. You throw another 60 yards on the Cooper Rush's deal, and now he's 23 of 31 for 275 yards or 255 yards. Now I, I'm just, you're inching closer, much closer to a QB controversy if he only has 
uh, instead of 10 incompletions, eight incompletions, additional 50 yards. His stats now look very impressive. And maybe one of those long balls is turned into a touchdown and he's got a second TD. The seeds are being planted for a controversy, Steve. Well, Jason, two things here. I, you would have to talk to someone that covers the Cowboys intimately. I would love to know the locker room politics if it actually became a full-blown quarterback controversy slash competition. Because you, you know the way it works sometimes. It's Certain guys are very popular. Guys are with them. It's their guy. And even if it's a warranted benching, you know the things that can happen with that dynamic. Okay? The other thing is this. Going back to Rich Gannon, Rich Gannon – had a career renaissance in the last, I believe, quarter of his career under John Gruden. I mean, he was a highly productive quarterback to a point. If I'm not mistaken, I think he won an MVP in 2002. Do you really see that type of upside with Cooper Rush under any system, under any circumstance? No, but crazier things have happened, Steve. I I didn't see Rich Gannon as an MVP at any point when he was in Kansas City. (laughs) I actually, and again, I got to admit, like when I was wrong, all the fans or a big majority of the fans, and I'd say half the locker room, wanted Rich Gannon to be the quarterback. I argued at that time. I was like, man, they're paying Gerback too much money to go to Rich Gannon. It's an unreasonable request. I, I defended the organization and the decisions they made there look silly in, in retrospect. Gerback, not long after that, moved out of Kansas City, eventually out of the league. And, and, and I'm just telling there's no difference. There's no difference other than Gerback's taller. I don't think there's any difference between Elvis yeah. Gerback and Dak Prescott. And, and, and the Chiefs had to move on from him. And, and to me, Jerry Jones, in his desperation to get a championship, I think he, he would mentally, I don't know if financially, I think mentally he's capable of moving on from Dak Prescott because mm-hmm. this dude is desperate to prove. And, and I just, I think Dallas has a really good roster. Listen to this, Steve. I mean, again, you, the quarterback you're, you're saying is basically untouchable, and I, you're saying it because of his contract primarily. But in his last 39 games, the guy's 21 and 18, man. Mm. 21 and 18 in his last 39 games. Not trying to put that all on deck. There's a lot of extenuating circumstances. I think the Cowboys overpaid for Ezekiel Elliott out of loyalty. And, and they should have moved on from him. And we could be having a conversation about Zeke and his role. Tony Pollard outplayed him last night. And they're paying Zeke all that money. But because it's a quarterback league and because that's what we talk about most often, we're talking about Dak Prescott and what all this means for him. Jason, let's go back two years ago uh, when you're at the other network. Speak for yourself. I know you guys spoke upon it a lot. You were one of the guys that said Dak Prescott is not worth more than $30 million, if I recall correctly, right? So, But that's the going rate. It's like gas. I don't want to pay $6 for a, for a gallon of gas, but if I want to drive my car, I got to pay it. That's the going rate, unfortunately. With that said, if you go back to that 2020 season, I remember watching the game. It was like the fourth or fifth game of the year. Dak Prescott's leg gets crushed and he's out for the year. And then everyone threw a lot of guilt at Jerry Jones and you should have taken care of him. And then, even with the veteran guy, I believe it was Andy Dalton, the Cowboys looked awful. 
I mean, they look like the 1989 Cowboys, and I think Jerry said, oh, my God, I, I've got to, this guy's worth it. See what happened here without Dak? And it turned out to be like an overreaction to an injury, and it, there was a public pressure for Jerry to really pay his quarterback. Now, I will say this. Let's table this a little bit. The next two games are a, an Eagle team that I'm very high on and defending Super Bowl champions. If they even split those games and Cooper Rush is playing a good, solid game of quarterback, I may inch over to your side, Jason. Let's see how this plays out here. All right. We will circle back. Thank you, Steve. I'm going to keep it moving. Bring on Jason Brown. Because uh, <laughs> Jason Brown texted me last night that Cooper Rush is better than Dak Prescott. And I was like, oh. And so Steve thinks I'm crazy. I'm just saying we're inching towards a quarterback controversy. Jason Brown, last chance you, you know, last chance Q, we call him. He thinks Cooper Rush is better than Dak Prescott. We'll discuss that here in a second. But first, I want to talk with you guys about my good friends over at uh, Preborn. Pardon this interruption. This is not a commercial. This is me speaking from the heart. This is me talking about a life or death issue. Here at The Blaze, we want more babies to live. We have a goal of rescuing thousands of babies from abortion per year. Preborn is how we're going to do it. Preborn has already rescued over 188,000 babies' lives. They do it with ultrasounds. When a woman uh, hears her baby's heartbeat, when she sees her baby through an ultrasound, and she's under all that pressure to abort her baby, you go through an ultrasound, it's a game changer. 80% of the time, that mother will choose life. Preborn clinics are located in the highest abortion areas in the country, standing strong for mothers in crisis and introducing them to the beautiful life growing inside of them. I need you to join me and the Blaze in rescuing preborn babies. It's one of the most important things, one of the most impactful things we can do. If you want to push back against this satanic, out of control culture, saving babies, Saving babies, the, the baby we save may be the savior we need, may be the voice we need, may be the person that puts your grandchildren in a better position. May come up with a cure for cancer, who knows? One ultrasound costs just $28. You can sponsor five ultrasounds for $140 and save five babies' lives. All gifts are tax deductible to donate securely called pound 250 and just say the keyword baby, that's pound 250 keyword baby, or go to preborn.com slash fearless. That's preborn.com slash fearless. You guys have seen me do it. If you force me to, I'll do it again happily. You've seen me hop on preborn.com slash fearless, give up that money to support these babies' lives. You know what? You just talked me into it. I'm gonna do it again, and I gave enough that it hurt last time, but I'm gonna give some more. Because when you really believe in something, it hurts in a good way. And so, I'm gonna hurt myself in a good way for some babies out there. Need you to do it as well. All right, stay tuned, don't go anywhere. Uh, Jason Brown. It's 
Welcome back. Welcome back to Fearless with Jason Whitlock. You know what I was thinking during that short break about how emotional I am and can be as it relates to kids. And and it's all <laughs> preborn has picked the perfect person in me because every time uh, I promote them and what they're doing, it makes me emotional. It makes me want to give uh, because that that you know I'm. You guys listen to me on this show. I am far from a perfect person. I'm a flawed person, very flawed. I've you know and am working to improve myself every day. You're watching me try to address my weight problems. You're watching me try to address my cursing. You're you know I talk about you know, lust and all the different issues that I, I deal with. And I'm, I mean, if you follow me on Twitter, you see how flawed I am. One moment I'm, you know, promoting the greatest gospel song I ever heard. And the next moment I'm arguing with someone over Twitter and being dismissive of them. But when it comes to kids, I, I, I just, that is my special spot. Even though I don't have them, uh, even though I don't really like babysitting them, uh, but I just <laughs> do have a special spot for kids. I just want them to have the kind of childhood and life that I have had. And so uh, I'm going on and on and on about preborn, but I may have to call these guys at preborn and say, hey, look, uh, you guys are costing me money because every time I do this read, every time I promote you guys, it ends up costing me money, but it's well worth it. You got to get, listen, you gotta give till it hurts a little bit. That's how you know you're making a difference. When it hurts you, it's actually a good thing for everybody else. That's how you know you're sacrificing. And so I can authentically say, I'm not asking you to do anything that I'm not willing to do. We gotta support this preborn. Preborn.com slash fearless. Uh, now I wanna keep it moving and bring on Jason Brown. Uh, and we'll probably, you'll see, probably see, Jason Brown gets me fired up. I'll probably revert back, although I'm in a very Christian-like mood right now. I've just given more money to preborn. I'm all in on babies. But Jason Brown's going to make me talk football and talk about Dak Prescott. And sometimes Jason Brown gets me fired up. Jason, uh, welcome back. I appreciate you doing this two straight days. But you texted me last night saying that uh, Cooper Rush is better than Dak Prescott. And you're like the people at Preborn. You know how to provoke me. You know how to get me fired up. A fascinating, I can't even say I co completely disagree with you, but it, the fact that you're willing to say it, I want to hear your explanation. Why do you think Cooper Rush is better than Dak Prescott? As a coach, okay, as a coach, um, you see different things by coaches on the sideline when certain people are in the game. So compare um, Kellen Moore when Dak is in the game. Look at his antics. Look at his energy. And then compare that to when Cooper Rush is in the game. A burden has been lifted off this man. He has no stress whatsoever. He's not supposed to be winning right now with Cooper Rush. The $100 million man puts stress on Kellen Moore. 
Kellen Moore right now is running around on the sideline. He's hugging Cooper Rush. Have you ever seen him hug Dak Prescott? Have you ever seen him elated like he is right now? Because he has a no-win situation. He's in a no-lose situation as a, as a play caller and as a OC. And I'm not a very big believer in him as a play caller and an OC. But what I am uh, understanding of is that is what the business entails. Now, I'm not saying Dak's not a listener or a leader or any of that. I'm not in their locker room. I'm not going to put my foot in my mouth. What I do know is, though, it is night and day from how he interacts with Dak compared to how he interacts with the guy making a hundred thousand dollar league minimum, and he has no stress. He's living, he's living scot free right now. And to be honest, Cooper Rush is more efficient. He is more accurate. He makes better decisions with his body, not his arm and mind, his body. Meaning, he climbs the pocket vertically. And he either takes off vertically or he throws the football away to live to fight another down. That is the precursor and prerequisite of a winning quarterback. Live to fight another down. Let's not turn it over. Let's not get sacks. Let's not take sacks. And let's not create an environment on the road that is a hostile, more hostile one than it already is. Because sacks make opposing crowds go crazy. Turnovers make opposing crowds go crazy. When you limit those things, you have a chance for success. And to be honest, what did he throw for? 30, yard, 30 times last night? He had a 75-yard touchdown drop by CeeDee Lamb. Hey, he would have thrown for 300 yards, two touchdowns, zero picks, and was very, very game manager looking. Um, and, and to be honest... He's available, Jason. That is the number one prerequisite. He is available. Dak Prescott is a bleeder. He's something of what I call a CP2 in the NBA. CP3 is Candace Parker, by the way. CP2 is Chris Paul, who continues to stay injured when it counts. And and that is what he is in the NFL. Dak Prescott is a bleeder. Um, You know, you get punched in the mouth, Jason. You bleed a lot. Some people get punched in the mouth, they wipe it off, and it's done bleeding, they scab up. That is what a lot of people that are available do. He's not. He's a bleeder. He's hurt. He's always hurt. He's injured. He's injury prone. He's Anthony Davis of the NFL, and that's what it is. Uh, Cooper Rush is available. Gives my team a chance to win. Availability is the most important ability. Coaches say it all the time, so you're right there. I, 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 here's, I want to translate or give an interpretation of what you're saying. And this is what a lot of coaches like. You got a veteran player that's got $40 million a year contract. He's much harder to control. He's not as dependent on the coaching staff as a guy like Cooper Rush, who's trying to just prove that he's even worthy of playing in the NFL. So he's going to do exactly what Kellen Moore programs him to do and some coaches like that and and particularly if they now look if you're Tom Brady Aaron Rodgers uh Russell Wilson and there's a proven track record of like oh when this guy freelances good things happen coaches just kind of grit their teeth and deal with it Dak I don't think has that reputation or creates that feeling like, oh, when he freelances and just kind of does what he wants to do, it skids off the road. 
And so I, maybe Kellen Moore just likes the control he has over Cooper Rush because Cooper Rush is dependent upon him and the system and won't ever really go off script, won't you know change up any plays, doesn't have that kind of autonomy. And so maybe it's just he can control Cooper Rush so he's more comfortable with Cooper Rush. I look at it differently. I don't think it's control as much as it is willing to accept and do. I think Cooper Rush is more willing and accepting of his role than a Dak Prescott is. Not that he's too egotistical or too big or he's already got the bag and he's too good for you. I'm not saying Dak is that way. I've heard Dak is a good dude and all that. But I do see a completely different side of Kellen Moore and the team. If you look at the actual team, you see them how they are. And if they didn't like or ride with this guy, you would see a little bit of a contention on the sideline. You don't see it at all. And uh, can we please take the headsets off the injured player? Like, we are putting these players on a pedestal of what is considered a hierarchy. So I want to be clear. Dak Prescott's not a damn coach. Either is a J.J. Watt or whoever it is that get injured and they got a headset on and you think that is how uh, enabling we are. We won't just tell a guy to go sit down somewhere and, and be injured. We want them to have a headset on and be part of the game plan. Like, they're really in tune. Like, oh, man, I'm, I know what's going on. You don't know what's going on. You're not the OC. You're not equal to us. So that is the problem. When that stops and the head coach and the OC say, you know what, dog? We don't need you to be on a headset. Because you're just a distraction, to be honest. How about you go over there and just support him as a leader off the field when he comes off? But let's get you off the damn headset. We got too many of this. I see this all over. I see it in college now. The guys are in the booth when they're hurt, like Zach Wilson was that year. I'm like, come on, man. We are giving them a a, a spoon that's saying, you know what, dog? We're gonna we're gonna hand speed, feed you here. Total just, different. Total different take on this. If, if I follow your narrative, maybe they want Dak on the headsets so that he has a better understanding of what the coaches are thinking during a game. And so that when he does get back on the field, perhaps he will have more buy-in when he sees things and hears things from their perspective. I think having Dak, having your quarterback while he's out and hurt in the communication loop giving him that full 360 perspective. Because this isn't a college kid. This is a kid that you've given hundreds of millions of dollars to that you're stuck with, that you're, you're stuck with for this foreseeable future. And so you just want to give him the complete picture and perhaps get some more buy-in from him. Yeah, the stripes on a tiger don't change, though. You are what you are already, brother. You already bought into this cat. You either coach it or you allow it. When are we going to break the, the the curse? When are we going to break this thing? Because he's with you. You've already paid him. What can he do? Demand a trade? Okay. We got a guy in here that looks like Opie right now who's 2-0. and Actually, 3-0 and as a starter in the NFL. And you're not available. And you're unavailable more than you are available I would start changing the narrative and putting some onus on the ownership and say, you know what, dog? We got you by the sack now. You start buying into what we do. We're not buying into you anymore. We've already paid you. So well, we why not give Jerry credit then, Jason? 
He is changing the narrative. He's the one that came out and said, I hope we have a quarterback controversy. He opened the door for this. And he also waited and put him on a franchise tag and didn't pay him originally, similar to what Lamar Jackson's looking at doing. And it's like, Lamar Jackson's available, dang it. That's a huge difference, in my opinion. Lamar Jackson plays when he's hurt. He even asked to play when he's injured. That is what I give Lamar Jackson credit for a lot over a lot of these cats. Dak Prescott will not do the thing that is required of him, which means stay healthy, be smart, live to play another down. I'm, I'm saying, Jason, we're going to be talking about Josh Allen here shortly. We're going to be talking about Trey Lance's. We're going to be talking about all these guys if they don't start playing smarter, which is going to make sure we lengthen their career. We're not trying to shorten their career. Why are we paying them then? Like, it, it's to me, it's an oxymoron by these owners and what we're doing. We're paying guys to hope in one hand, crap in the other, and see what fills up first. Like, no, let's not pay them then. Like, what are we paying them for? To hope they can play three years? Like, to me, it doesn't make sense. Let's see the result first. Let's give them somewhat of a good contract and money, and then let's see them win us a couple playoff games before we start anointing them. Perfect segue, perfect segue into a conversation I want to have with you about ESPN and Lamar Jackson. I was watching Get Up this morning. Uh, They started talking about Lamar Jackson, and I was kind of hopeful because – Uh, Mike Greenberg started out the segment talking about what motivates uh, Lamar Jackson and Lamar Jackson loves his critics and he devours them. And I was like, oh, okay. Mike Greenberg done read my column watching this show, heard me and JB talking about this yesterday. And and so I was hopeful. And then Marcus Spears, as I think it's contractually obligated. If you talk about a black quarterback, at some point during the segment, someone has to play the race card. Let's play the clip, and then I, I want me and you to discuss it. Lamar Jackson is a black quarterback, okay? That has a lot to do with how he's talked about. Could you imagine if Baker Mayfield was having the career Lamar Jackson is having right now? If we would be having these conversations or talking about some anonymous GM talking about him winning 12 times. Like, I hate that I got to bring that up. But when it comes to Lamar Jackson, it's always, yeah, but. Yeah, but. What is what is he going to do? Bro, the dude, to your point, G, what you just said, Lamar Jackson, and, and it should stop there. Right now, Lamar Jackson is the best player in the NFL. Right now. That's what he is. Why are we still having conversations about this dude not being a top five or a top six quarterback in the NFL? I tweeted out during the game. I said Lamar Jackson can't throw because I wanted to see what the reaction would be. You know, I actually had guys come on Twitter and Instagram and people in the in the sphere say, yeah, you're right, Swaggle. I was being sarcastic, America. <laughs> That's what I was being. But when it comes, I, I just, I'm just tired of having this conversation about what is Lamar. He's, he's one of the best quarterbacks in the NFL. It should stop right there. Him. 
Go ahead, Danny. I mean, he's absolutely right, because the issue on, when you talk about criticism of Lamar, is, it's often anonymous, because yeah. you can hide behind anonymity when, you're, when your evaluation is rooted in bias and in preconceived notions. And obviously, yes. the issue throughout history that has confronted black quarterbacks in the NFL has been rooted in bias and preconceived notions. And ideally, yep. you start to break no, down. Yeah, yeah. You know, to Marcus's point, black quarterbacks have always had their leadership abilities questioned, yep. their intelligence belittled, yep. and that's what you're seeing with Lamar Jackson, but I'll take it a step further, Marcus. Where's the camera at? Right there. If Lamar Jackson continues to play the way that he has these first three weeks of the season, he'll be the greatest quarterback this game has ever seen. Hmm. They've, he, no one's ever done it the way that he's done it. I'm proud of him. If he sees this message, I want him to know everything we talked about for those three years. He's going out there and doing it. Keep your foot on the neck. Man, I'm so proud of you. Keep doing your thing. Okay. A lot to unpack here. I want to just start with Marcus Spears and this whole thing about this. They love this anonymous quote from some defensive coordinator or defensive assistant that said, you know, if he wins 12 MVPs, he's still not a QB one to me. So they're assuming that the anonymous uh, coach is a white guy and that's justifying their racism. It's an anonymous coach. There's a lot of black defensive coaches in the NFL. There's probably a dozen, 10 or what black defensive coordinators in the NFL. Black coaches are prevalent on the defensive side of the football. So we don't know what race the anonymous coach was first and foremost. I want to enter that into the record. No one at this point, three games into this season, is arguing that Lamar Jackson isn't the best player in the league. The question is, is it sustainable? That's what you keep bringing up and other critics of Lamar Jackson keep bringing up. They won't discuss that aspect. Is it sustainable? I happen to think that it is. I've, I think he can do this for another four to five years. You don't but you're not motivated by some hidden racism and other people that are questioning this aren't motivated by some hidden racism. They're motivated by history. And the history says that running quarterbacks have shorter careers. I, I just want to address that part before I get to RG three. Go ahead, Jason. So, so, so Dominic Foxworthy or whatever his name is probably the, one of the dumbest humans I've ever heard speak on a mic, number one. RG3 actually tops him. He's even worse. <laughs> um, I've heard him say some things that blow my mind. You know, I know some dirt on RG3. It's funny that he had a book written about him, and it finally just seized out of nowhere. And now all of a sudden, he's on every single show in America. He's on every single talk show and every single uh NFL college game day. He's on everything. I'm like, damn, where did he come from? But anyway, uh, I love Warren Sapp's comments about him, how, how he talks about how bad he was. And then out of nowhere, he's the best uh, guru out there ever. All of a sudden, it's crazy to me. I love that uh, Warren Sapp came out and blasted him. But uh, here's the thing about this thing. I've only coached black quarterbacks. I've coached three white quarterbacks in 20 years. He, one of them went to the NFL. I've coached nothing but black quarterbacks. And I have no hidden agenda 
it is no left, right, red, blue. Uh, it's not a black and white thing. I really don't care. The best player plays, period. And I'm going to try to get that person to the next level in life and on the field. Now, having said that, why is this always an agenda on that show? Uh, it blows my mind. Why aren't we talking about what he's done in the crucial times of playing the sport and his position? He's done nothing. He's done absolutely nothing. And we keep bringing up black and white. And I'm like, well, why are we bringing up black and white? Because I'm going to bring some up, Jason. Is he really, is it really a black and white thing? Because as if I remember and I recall, and I'm closer to your age, Jason, than a lot of the audience probably is, I believe Ryan Leaf was crucified for being horrible. I believe Baker Mayfield has been crucified. I believe Carson Wentz has been crucified, and I am the one that does it. I do it every day. I think they're horrible. And how about Trent Dilfer, who won a Super Bowl? But even better than that, Bernard Pollard, who won a Super Bowl for the Ravens, was on my show and said Lamar Jackson is absolutely atrocious at playing the quarterback position. This is a black man who won a Super Bowl playing defense and said Lamar Jackson can't get out of a bad play and into a good one. And guess what? Guess what he said who could do that? Colin Kaepernick could do it. And they played against him in the playoffs, in the Super Bowl, excuse me, in the Super Bowl where the Ravens beat the Niners in a great Super Bowl and the lights went out. And Colin was at the line of scrimmage making checks all day long. Bernard's on the sidelines for the Ravens games, and he said he's never heard Lamar Jackson make a check ever. So he is playing, making the call that is into the helmet. He does it, and he tries to execute that play. By the way, he threw four touchdowns last week. One of them was a shovel pass. Let's pump our brakes. I disagree with you about Lamar in terms of what he's done so far in his career and through three games. It's been impressive. I think it's sustainable. I think people need to open up their minds to a different way of attacking his quarterback position as it relates to Lamar Jackson. He may be the actual unicorn. I get why. You look at the history of Cam Newton and you look at the history of any of these running quarterbacks and say, you know what, it, it just doesn't work. Peyton Manning, Tom Brady, uh, Joe Montana that can put together these 10, 15, 20 year careers. It's harder to do that. I don't understand. I do understand these, you know, it's like that Dan Graziano, you're right, Marcus. This dude, these, these dudes are scared to actually say what they think and know. Jeff Saturday sitting there played in the NFL for a long time, played with Peyton Manning. He's scared, can't say it. You, you know what ESPN's these shows do? They're playing seven on seven. They're playing non-contact sports discussion where nobody has the balls to disagree with Marcus Spears or any of these guys that play the race card and because they don't want to be called racist and, and they know it's going to be an unfair discussion. And so Marcus Spears and Dominique Foxworth, RG3, can do all this little racial talk because they know there's going to be no resistance. They're playing seven on seven. It's not real tackle football. They're cowards. They're scared. I get it. JB, I, I'm on a, and I hear you talking about the terrible quarterbacks that you've criticized. You can go check my resume. I 
criticized Joe Montana when Joe Montana was good. I used to argue John Elway and still believe John Elway was a better quarterback than Joe Montana and that you could take John Elway and put him in any era of football and he's going to excel, including the one we have today. And so if, if Joe Montana can be criticized and no one accused me of being racist, if, and I, there are people that criticize John Elway. There are people, oh, he didn't win without Terrell Davis. You know, Terrell Davis carried him. He couldn't win till the end of his career. You could criticize John Elway without being accused of, of being racist. RG3 ends this discussion and no one says a word. Everybody, yeah, just co-signs this. Oh, if he can plays the way he does the next three weeks, he's going to be the greatest of all time. When I heard this, I, I wanted to pass out and say, this man ain't got to... He ain't got to win a Super Bowl. And he's going to be the greatest of all time? We don't even have to add that stipulation. We got Tom Brady sitting here with seven Super Bowls, and all RG3's got to do is keep being a, a beast in the regular season? Are you kidding me? Look, I stopped watching ESPN last week when Dominique Foxworth said Tom Brady's overrated. So when I heard him say that out of his mouth, I recorded it, and I'm like, dude, I'm done listening to this crap. Let me let me tell you something. Doug Flutie, horrible in the NFL. All he did was run around. Steve Young, horrible in the NFL. All he did was run around until they stopped and became pocket passers. Steve Young lost playoff games and could not get past the Cowboys until he became a pocket passer. He won a Super Bowl throwing five touchdowns, not running five touchdowns, throwing five touchdowns from the pocket to John Taylor, Jerry Rice, and that Roger Craig or whoever the back was. He won a Super Bowl when he became a passer. Randall Cunningham had his best year when he became a passer. So did Dante Culpepper. So I don't want to hear the black and white thing. One is a runner because he's athletic. One is a pocket guy because he's non-athletic. I've seen some freaks of nature at white boy quarterbacks. Josh Allen's not a regular white boy. Either is Aaron Rodgers. Either is a lot of these dudes. And we can go back and forth. But the bottom line is when you throw the ball on time from the pocket, you stay healthy. You earn the bag that these owners want to pay you because they know you're going to stay upright and you're going to be at practice every day and you're going to be healthy. And our investment is have gets a return. Other than we're hoping our investment gets a return by every single time you run. You should see some of these GMs that I know, buddies of mine, they're like this. In the press box. Every time Josh Allen runs a football. Because they know it's that fast from ending. And you don't think Lamar Jackson's GMs and Ozzie Newsom and everybody else that's involved is like, oh, shoot, man. What is going to happen here? Are we paying this dude or not? This is the thing, Jason. I, 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 I want to separate the race thing from the real thing. We love, in today's society, we want to, to, to uh, nurture. We've gotten rid of masculinity, right? We, we want to get rid of all the alpha males in America anyway. So we want to we nurture everybody. We're so soft. We want to say Lamar Jackson is, is hugging babies. He's a great human. He does everything. You know, he, he gives back. He donates. I get that. I love that about him. That doesn't mean you're the greatest quarterback. That doesn't mean you earn my business results. 
And there has to be a separation of reality and likeness. We can like a lot of people. That doesn't mean that they're earning us results. And that is where we've become in society. We want to like everything and retweet everything compared to understanding the truth. And the truth hurts these people. But I guarantee you it'll set you guys free, man. If you just trust me on this. I ain't been missing that. I haven't missed on a quarterback. I'm just telling you. And I, I, I haven't missed one. Let's continue this conversation with RG3 in, in the next seven to eight weeks when it gets closer to playoff time. And I love all all your fans and critics. You know, Jason, hate, I love our haters. They're our biggest fans. And having said that, you know, uh, I love some of the comments because they say, uh, they you know, they come at me with all these things. And I just laugh. I'm like, man, please show me your resume so I can continue the conversation. Because I know you're serving donuts in the drive through at McDonald's. And I know you know more than me. But having said that, um, you know, we, we we never understand what it takes to win this to win this thing unless you've been there done it you know the mina kimes and all these other world but that hates me and you know we go back and forth on twitter i think they blocked me by now her and sarah spain oh unbelievable uh Really? You're going to tell the Raiders who to draft and what quarterback to take? Like, when the hell did you take a three-step drop in the NFL? I'm curious. And I'm not against women. I love women, and I'm all, I'm the farthest thing from being sexist. But really? You're going to sit there and critique us on how and why and what a quarterback should do at the highest level? Uh, it blows my mind, and, and people really defend it. Like, they really think she knows what she's talking about. It's probably one of the worst takes ever listening to her speak about quarterbacks. And I'm just like, wow. Listen, I, I agree with you there with Kimes in Spain or whatever, but I get what they're doing, and I get why they're doing it. What I don't understand are these men. There was five guys sitting on that. Mike Greenberg, Jeff Saturday, Dan Graziano, RG3, and Marcus Spears. Five alleged men sitting in there having a conversation, and it was an emasculated conversation because they won't even deal with the real issues. No one is it sustainable. It's like they're boxers. I'm the toughest guy in the neighborhood, but every time I box, I want to wear a headgear to protect myself. I don't really want to get down like Mike Tyson and these other people and really step in the ring. And so let me put this headgear on and I'm gonna play the race card and make sure no one can hit me back because if you do, I'm gonna call you racist or if you do, I'm gonna call you a sellout. It's, they don't wanna have the real discussion. They wanna play seven on seven, non-contact flag football and they wanna put on headgear when it gets into the boxing ring. They're afraid of having a real, authentic, manly conversation. They. This is what has happened, JB. We've taken the conversation from the barber shop to the beauty shop. All of these dudes are sitting around getting their hair braided and hair colored, sitting at the beauty shop, gossiping like women, all this emotional conversation instead of talking about the real facts. They're not man enough for a real conversation. That's why they played a race card. I got a thing. I've heard it. I got a little bug in there. I got some good friends at work at that network, and uh, hopefully Dan Olafsky is going to join me on my show this week. But I got a couple good friends there, and I'm sure you do. And it's not everybody, but let me tell you something. Who was missing from that five-men panel that you saw there? Did you notice anyone missing? 
Have you noticed there's one person on that channel that actually speaks the truth and they have started to separate themselves from that man? And he's not on a lot of these shows that he used to be on. Bart Scott actually tells those cats the real and the wrong, and they don't like it at all. And you can tell. And I would not be shocked if you don't see Bart Scott anymore, because Bart Scott actually tells them, contrary to belief, the real way it is. And I've reached out to Bart, and uh, he's actually a fan. And I'm like, dude, he's the one that they don't like to hear from. He calls out RG3 on the set. He calls out these cats, and I love it. And that is the best cat, the best take on ESPN, in my opinion, is Bart Scott. And I have, I've recently l- noticed he's not on the panel no more. He's not there no more. And I'm wondering, like, why is that? And uh, it's funny, man. I really wouldn't want to wa- – I want to watch that. And maybe it's something for the future for you to, to look at. But I really want to see where Bart Scott ends up because I haven't seen him and I haven't seen any takes l- recently. And why wouldn't he be on that panel right there? If, if you're talking about having some real brothers on that panel, why isn't Bart Scott on that panel, the strongest voice in the room uh, on that channel? Uh, very, very interesting. And I, I don't know. I'm just, I'm just throwing that out there in the wind. <laughs> All right, JB, I got to go. Appreciate you. Right, Talk Great to you. job as always. I'm going to bring these ladies out here. I'm going to feminize the conversation. But trust me, these ladies are fearless. Uh, get your fearless army swag at shopblazemedia.com slash fearless. Shamika Michelle, Jill Savage, Lauren Chen in the studio. Thanks. Get ready for the greatest roast of all time. The Roast of Tom Brady. A Netflix live event happening May 5th Hosted by Kevin Hart, the seven-time world champion gets his cleats held to the fire by famous friends and frenemies on an unforgettable night where everything is fair game. Tune in on May 5th at 5 p.m. Pacific time for The Roast of Tom Brady, live only on Netflix. All right, welcome back. I don't know what to call this. I'm thinking about calling it girls tripping. Uh, <laughs> the other view, perhaps. But, I, you know, to call it the other view, I would have to remove myself from the segment. Uh, but anyway, I like it. And I keep getting great feedback every time uh, I bring the ladies onto the show. Uh, people like it. They think it's a great change of pace. They th- certainly think the show looks a lot better. <laughs> Uh, and so, anyway, Shamika Michelle, Lauren Chin, Jill Savage uh, here in studio with me. Shamika joining us from North Carolina. I want to play this clip that I found interesting uh, and want you all's uh, opinion on it. Uh, let's play the clip. This is a black woman out to, or hosting some kind of little dinner deal, video deal, where she thinks she's making some great point about how bad racism is. Uh, Let's play the clip and then we'll discuss. Let me ask you a question. How many of you would trade places with a black person in this society? Raise your hand. I don't know the answer to that. 
Well, it's yes or no. How many of you would do it? I know I would. I mean, I, I, I dated a Hispanic no. very dark. No, no, I'm not talking about Hispanic. The question is. But I was going to have children. So I spent many years thinking of myself of having very dark-skinned children. The question is, how many of you would be willing to trade places in this society with a black person? I think I would. Absolutely. 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 Okay. I'm not saying there's not racism. Absolutely not. It's just saying I don't see it. Yeah, but you know how not, racist this country not is. Not to the degree that you do. Oh, no, you will never know. You know, in this country, we created the criminalization of black people. And when your skin is seen as a weapon, you're never unarmed. And that's why black boys and men and women are dying in the street with their hands up. The level of stupidity, and again, I watched this a day or two ago, and now rewatching again reignites how irritated I am uh, with this, the level of stupidity, dishonesty. Uh, I find it to be a very unfair question, but to end it on the note of uh, black men are dying in the streets with their hands up, that's a joke. And it makes me, and I'll start with Shamika and then I'm gonna bring you guys into it. It, it makes me think, how disconnected this woman is from the black community. Because being connected, having grown up in the, living in an area right now that the, my zip code, 34 or 36% black, this woman's completely disconnected from black people. She thinks that th that's what's going on, that black men are just out in the streets with their hands up, getting slaughtered by the police. Shamika, I, I, I that last point just took me over the edge. First, let me say, Jason, if white women want to be beat over the head with white guilt, I'll do it for three low payments of $19.99. They don't have to pay a lot. I'll do it for them. And, and yes, this whole with their hands up, it's funny that black women don't want to be black men cheerleaders until it actually suits their agenda. Nobody is standing up for black men on a daily basis when it comes to them actually having a mind of their own, choosing uh, for themselves, you know, standing up for their kids. We beat black men down every day until it comes to, oh, racism. They, they have their hands up. There's not really any case where we've, that we've seen where a black man has died with his hands actually up. They've proven that to be false a long time ago. So for her to run with this is just lies. And it bothers me that she even implies that if they don't want to be black, then that's racist. It makes me wonder if then, you know, that also implies that black people would want to be white because I wouldn't want to be white. I wouldn't just sign up to be a white woman. Now, I might would sign up to switch with a wealthy person, but uh, that would be switching with a woman of any color. It would not matter. You know, I would care what color she was if she was wealthy. I wish that that was the thing. I wish she had said, how many of you all would switch places with Oprah Winfrey and see how many hands went up? No, absolutely. I, 
could I be Beyonce? I would sign up for that. If I could just like magically snap my fingers and be Beyonce, I, I would absolutely. But I, I think what she's trying to get at is that white women are so privileged and they know that black people are so underprivileged and so they don't, wouldn't want to give up their, but it's just a very strange, I mean, should they want to be black? Wouldn't that be more racist as well? Because that's a Rachel Dolezal situation. I'm not even sure what she's looking for. I love that Shamika is out there. If anybody's going to be making money off of this, I want everybody to go give Shamika <laughs> yeah. some of the money. Let's let's go ahead and start some of those classes up. Get her uh, some extra money in her pocket. But it is it's it's something that you look at. And Shamika made the point. Would would they want to switch? Would she want to switch places with me or other white women? And it's really only viewed as a one way street at this dinner party. It's only would these white women be willing to switch over and become black? And you know, I used to be a sports reporter and I will tell you that one year, I definitely, I was on the top broadcast and I did, I was working 13 football games a year and I got six one year because I wasn't black. So it does work both ways. They literally told me this too, by the way. It's not like, I'm just saying this. Not I'm not diverse enough. It's not, I, I was a female in the space, but I wasn't diverse enough. You need to enough. come out as a new gender. Yeah if, yeah, if only I had identified as a male that year, maybe I still would have been on the top crew, who knows. Um, but you know, it, it goes to show that we want to view racism as a one-way street. And it's not right or wrong. I'm happy with who I am and the life that I have and why can't that be enough for people? Yeah, I, I, the, the question and the way they presented, and we're just getting a clip, I'm sure there's a full show. Maybe one of the white women did ask the woman, hey, do you wanna be white? Because that's the initial question that came to my mind. I was like, this black woman wants to be white. She thinks there's some great advantage to being white. And, and I just reject that because I don't want to be white. I, I really don't. Now, uh, just like Shamika said, are there, was there a time when some people's wealth made me say, I'd like to be that person? But, but again, that really doesn't have a color at this point, because yeah, would I like to be Tom Cruise or Denzel Washington and have their money and have their adulation? Maybe there was a time that that, that was true. But, but this whole thing just bothers me because I can, proudly and defiantly say, no, nah, I don't want to be white. But if y'all say, no, nah, I don't want to be black, y'all run the risk of being called racist and, and there's nothing wrong. And again, Lauren, I'm, I'm not even, do you consider yourself white? I, I consider myself both. I'm half Chinese. So it's, I, you know, I, I would say, yes, I'm white. I would say, yes, I'm Chinese. So yeah. And so I, you could, I, I just don't understand why y'all have to be on the defensive of be, about being possessive and proud of who you are. And, and it's somehow, it's a bad thing that you don't want to be black. And, 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 and I, I'll say this, and I'll get in trouble, and Shamika, I'll throw this back in your lap. There are, the, the biggest limitation to being black right now are the expectations that are attached, that the culture attaches to being black. I have to uh, love all the hip hop music. I have to vote democratic. I have to throw out my religious beliefs and support uh, the pro-abortion movement and the Democratic Party because I'm black 
or this society uh, cast me as an outsider and outside the norm and a bad person. And it's like everybody else, every other ethnic group, all the way down to the Latino brown people have the freedom to think whatever they want, have the free, they can like whatever kind of music. If Lauren Chin likes rock and roll and doesn't like R&B, no one cares. But if you're black and like rock and roll and don't like R&B, oh, you a sellout. There are limitations on being black that the culture places on you that, you know, I would like to free myself of that burden. Definitely. And I think also a limitation is the expectation that we're less than when you look at how they're changing the rules in schools and getting rid of this test or that test or getting rid of certain programs because they feel like there aren't enough black people in the honors program. It's almost as if black is equated with being unsuccessful. And that bothers me a lot because I feel like black people can do whatever they put their minds to. It has nothing to do with color. So yes, there's also this expectation in the culture to accept whatever, but there's this expectation to fail. And when you stand up and say, hey, I'm not a failure, my skin color has nothing to do with whether I succeed or fail, you're ridiculed for that. I can remember wearing the cowboy hat on one of the shows when I was in Tennessee and somebody was like, oh, that cowboy hat, that's just ridiculous. You're going too far to fit in. And I'm thinking, I had I've had that cowboy hat for years long before I was on fearless long before I was in any type of politics like I hold on to stuff for a very long time but I like that look. I feel like I can go with any type of look. I can be in the White House and be dressed appropriately. I can hang on the block and be dressed appropriately. I can go into a, a country bar and be dressed appropriately. I have a different variety of things that I like from the way I dress to the music that I like to listen to, to the people that I hang around. And I shouldn't have that limitation put on me simply because I'm black. Like you said, we don't do that to any other group of people. We don't tell white people they have to choose when it comes to political affiliation. You have to be Republican because you're white. But we do that to blacks. If you're not a Democrat, then you're automatically seen as some type of sellout. If I don't want to listen to rap music every single day, then I'm a sellout. I was just looking at something Melissa Etheridge put out yesterday because I love Come to my window. That was one of my favorite songs. And it's like, am I not supposed to like Melissa Etheridge because I'm black? That's just silly to me. And so you're absolutely right, Jason. And it, it, it has to change. And we don't do it to anybody else. Moving here to Nashville, particularly as, as it relates to music, has really changed my perspective and thoughts on music. I grew up as a kid. It was R&B, and then when I got older and rap came along, it was R&B and hip-hop, and that's all I knew. And, and I can remember, it was just maybe five years ago that I ever listened to a Led Zeppelin song. Just five, five years ago. And the people that work with me on Speak For Yourself, they got tired of me talking about Led Zeppelin when I discovered it, because I was like, I didn't even know this existed. I didn't know these dudes were this talented. 
because there's just and I was I was late to the Adele deal. I started telling people about Adele. And it's like, man, she's been out for 10 years. <laughs> <laughs> and, but but moving here has given me an appreciation for country music that I never thought I would have. But it's all odd because every other group could like whatever kind of music they like. No one would bat an eyebrow. No one would think anything. And, and you know, I basically moved away from rap music because I just find it too profane, too disgusting, too satanic uh, that, you know, I've just I've lost my taste for it. Uh, still like R&B, but it's not the R&B that I grew up with. It, it, not, much of R&B is now very profane, and, and I, I just, I don't want to hear that in music, and I don't want to think about love in that kind of hyper-sexualized, profane way. They don't make the great R&B music like the Isley Brothers, the Commodores, or Earth, Wind & Fire, that I grew up on. So my music taste is changing. And, and it's like, I hear the lyrics of country music and, and like, yeah, this, that's kind of how I want to think about love. And, and so, Tamika, let me ask you this before I put uh, Lauren and, and Jill on the spot. Do you, and this is just from watching that clip and the way the women responded. Uh, I, I thought I heard fear, saw fear in those women where, again, if I had been sitting there, I would have been like, this is stupid, you're stupid, you want to be white. You know, I, I ain't apologizing for being white, just like you ain't gonna apologize for being black. It made me think, these white women, and white women in general, they're afraid of black women, they're afraid of the racial politics. D do you think white women are afraid of black women? Yes. And that's just the short answer. Yes, I see it all the time. Even when some sometimes when they talk to me, they start singing. Like you can just tell the ones that are afraid and that don't want to offend you and think you may be sensitive. They start talking to you like this. How are you today? Oh, really? And I'm thinking, why are you singing to me? I don't need a lullaby. Go ahead and spit out what you have to say. So, yes, I absolutely think that there are a lot of white women who are afraid of being offensive for no reason. And so they tiptoe and walk on eggshells because that's kind of where we are in society now. Jill, Lauren, are you afraid of black women? No, but I think that a majority of the white women are. And I think that you watch that clip and they are definitely afraid because nobody answers her question the first time that she asks it. Who's who wants to trade places with me? And everybody's just sitting there in silence going, oh, how do I answer this without offending her? Do, do I say that I want to be her? Or do I say I want to be myself? I don't know. And I look at, you know, the politicians whenever they go into a predominantly black neighborhood and, and try and you know, get those votes. Hillary Clinton was out there going, oh, I have hot sauce in my purse. No, you don't. Her voice changes, it slows down, just like Shamiko was saying. And she's like, oh yeah, I, I know what y'all go through. No, you don't, Hillary Clinton, and that's fine. Nobody expects you to know what it is. But it, you know, overall, people change their appearance or what they're trying to say, how they say it. So I think all of that just kind of leads into them being too afraid. 
I think majority of white women, like Joel was saying, are definitely afraid. And I think the reason why that is, is because women as a whole are way more likely to buy into any type of woke politics, whatever it is. And I feel like anytime we talk about race, there there are these activists who are trying to tell all white women, especially college age white women, middle aged progressive white wine moms, that yes, everything you do is a microaggression. You have to feel bad about your race. And all of that messaging, by the time they actually meet a black person, you know, out in the city somewhere, they come across one. Uh, I feel like a lot of white men are like, how do I, how do I respond? I don't, I don't even know. And it's like, you're a person, they're a person. Just talk to them like you would anyone else. But we, we are so obsessed with race now and trying to right historical wrongs that you may or may not have any knowledge of. But you have to know that you, you, you as a whole, as a white people, you did something bad. That it's just, it's really warped a lot of people's minds, or we don't even know how to interact with each other anymore, which is really sad, but sometimes hilarious. Like in that clip, it's, it's. We've just gone to a very sad place where, and, and again, I'm very transparent on this show. I, I sit here and talk about, you know, I have a fear of women in general in the workplace. Part of that fear is driven by me because I know how flawed I am and how stupid I used to be and know that I'm capable of being that stupid again and the wrong things can fall out of my mouth and I don't know if, uh, I'm gonna give you a real life example that I had no intention of, of, of doing, but I, I'm just, this is just me being completely transparent. This is funny, this involves you, Lauren. Me, Lauren, and her husband went to dinner Friday. Yes. Yes, Friday. And do you know, I went home uh, that night and I was like, oh my God, I wonder if that was offensive. Do you know what I was, what I'm thinking about? No. Yeah, I told Lauren and her husband that, oh, Lauren makes love to the camera. She's terrific. <laughs> and I went home and I was like, oh my God, what if that was offensive? What if that was taken the wrong way? What if someone thought I was blah, blah. And, and so that's just, and now you can multiply that. And again, Lauren is someone that, you know, I can buy her approach on social media, my interaction with her. I was able to go, nah, they get it. It's nothing. But the way that black women uh, portray themselves over social media, the way I've seen them engage in the workplace, virtually anything that comes out of your mouth is like the right, you have the right to remain silent because anything can and will be used against you in a court of law. I've experienced that. And uh, it, it makes me just want to shut up, say less, uh, and, and I'm saying if, if I'm thinking this way and try, I've grown up and been around black people my whole life, my family, friends, the whole nine yards, if I'm sitting there with that kind of paranoia, I could only imagine what kind of mental gymnastics goes on in the average white person's mind in dealing with a black or white person, uh, a, black, a black man or woman in, the, in this current situation, dynamics we've set up, I, I, I would be scared to death. You just never know who has the thinnest skin or is looking for, I, I'm gonna give you, I'm gonna give y'all one more example and this doesn't involve me, uh, but just something I've seen in the workplace. And this happened years and years ago when I was in Kansas City. Black sports reporter, uh, goes on a road trip with a white sports reporter. They're co-workers 
at the Kansas City Star. They're going to the same sporting event. They drive down together. On the drive down, they listen to rap music that uses the N-word. And when they get back, I think maybe both of them were singing the songs as it goes on, but when they get back, the black guy tells management that, you know, we listened to this rap music on the way down and he sung the songs. I'm not exaggerating. They fired this white dude. They, wow. This white dude thought he was on a friendly road trip with a black guy. They're both listening to rap music they like. Get back. They fired the white dude. And I, the, the, the reason I know this, because the situation was eventually brought to me and asked for my guidance or whatever. And I had, I was like, because what ended up happening is the black dude ended up, his career went in the tank after that. They fired the white guy. And then I had to explain to the black dude, I was like, yeah, they fired him, but trust me, you're next on the chopping block because you put them in a spot where they had to get rid of somebody that they didn't want to get rid of, they felt you were unfair, and now you're getting run out. And, and but uh, anyway, I, I just say this, we've created a very, very complicated uh, racial dynamic in the workplace and just in society where people can't engage honestly and authentically. People, particularly Christians, are afraid of each other. Uh, you know, I, I could just go on and on and on. I, I've seen, particularly living down here in the South, people use the word boy all the time. And they use mm -hmm. it for everybody. And, and you gotta, and yeah, you live in North Carolina, uh, uh, Shamika. In the South, people use the word boy. And, mm -hmm. and, and they'll use it towards a white person and then they'll sit there and think, well, I ain't gonna treat a black person no different, so I'm gonna use the word boy. And then you're, you're supposed to be, you're supposed to have all this extra knowledge of, oh, I'm dealing with a black person and here's this whole long list of words that I can't use, here's this food that I better not mention, here's TV shows, anything that I, I can't mention because it might be construed a certain way. It's just a sad place we're living in. Shamika, I'm rambling, give me a final thought and then we're gonna come back and talk about the movie Don't Worry, Darling. Yeah, no, I agree with you, Jason. And especially living in the South, it's just different. You know, I don't get offended when people call me girl, especially at my age. I would love to be seen as a girl. So I think that people just have to relax a little bit. I understand that society has changed and it's not easy, but I love hanging around people of any color where I can just be relaxed and I can make jokes that may be, as they call, off color or whatever that may come across offensive. I remember hanging with my friend who is white and we were out one night and she was uh, she saw a dog and she got down on the ground with the dog and she started hugging all on the dog and just letting the dog lick her in her face. And then she stood up and was like, OK, we need to take our picture together. And I said, uh -uh, you're not touching me after uh, getting all on that dog. Black people we don't do that. And we both laughed because, you know, <laughs> So it was just this difference that she had never heard of. I'm like, we don't, we don't do that with dogs. So I just like being around people who are relaxed and not afraid. And this white woman is not afraid of me because we can really just celebrate our differences. Like I put my butter in the refrigerator. She leaves hers on the counter. 
That's that's so funny. You just made me think of another story, and I don't even know if I should tell this one. I may tell it off the air, but who? <laughs> that whole dog thing, though. Are are y'all dog people? Y'all like dogs? <laughs> that is one of the uh, parts of my white heritage that I do embrace. I consider myself a dog mom. Yeah, I like dogs. <laughs> yeah. So, <laughs> I don't. I'm, <laughs> yeah. <sighs> I'm not going to do it. I'm not going to do it. I'm not going to do it. We're going to talk about the movie Don't Worry, Darling. Next. All right, welcome back. Some more girl tripping. Tiffany Odom has joined us. She's joined uh, Lauren Chin, Jill Savage, and Shamika Michelle. We all went to the movies either last week or this week to go see the new movie, uh, Don't Worry, Darling. Uh, I think it's a movie where Olivia Wilde directs and she also plays a role in the movie. Uh, Harry Styles is in the movie. There's been a lot of gossip about this movie and what went on on set, off camera, all that kind of stuff. But the movie is actually about a group of women that are trapped in a virtual reality, 1950s traditional housewife role while their men go off to some mysterious job. There's some kind of twist at, at the end. Look, I watched the movie. It's very confusing. They, they give you this twist at the end that tries to explain all of your confusion. Let me just narrow it down to you, narrow it down for you. It's, it's a movie, The Stepford Wives, made differently, that's basically been updated to 2022, that basically says, man, women got a raw deal. These men have trapped y'all in these traditional roles and, and you know have limited your freedom, got you knocked up with kids, cooking dinner, and, and having sex with them when they come home from work. This is horrible. And that's the point of the movie. It's almost a redo of every movie that comes out that you know, women are getting a raw deal and men have built a satanic evil world that exploits them. Uh, we'll start here uh, with the ladies. Uh, and Shamika, because you're on uh, Skype, we'll let you start first. Loved it, liked it, or hated it? Jason, I liked it. And I think I liked it because I watched the movie and I just couldn't get out that slogan from Weight Watchers. This is living. The woman woke up every day and made breakfast, which seemed like the same breakfast every morning. Two eggs, bacon, toast, buttered, and cut in half. Then she would see her husband off to work, and she would clean the house, make sure it was spotless, and then she was off to enjoy life with her friends. Whether it was shopping or sitting by the pool, either way, it included cocktails. Then she would come home, make him a nice dinner, but when he got at home, she was the meal. I was thinking, sign me up. Sign my name on the road. This just seemed like the perfect life to me. So I really enjoyed watching it. So yes, like for me, I may be teetering on a love. <laughs> uh, Tiffany, loved I, it, liked it, or hated it? I liked it. Um, I'm somewhere in between, though. I'd still want my freedom a little bit. It seemed a little robotic. The women having to do the same thing every day. Oh, you mean like me coming in doing this show every day? 
Yeah, like but that. at least you switch it up. Theirs weren't wasn't switched up. It was very robotic, like Stepford Wives. I mean, right when I watched it, I I immediately thought of that movie. Um, so the, when my alarm goes off every morning at 5:30 a.m., it makes a different noise every day. No, it's, it's, <laughs> it does not. But the part I did love was the Great Gatsby style parties and the glamour and the cocktails. I could sign up for that for sure. Loved it, liked it, or hated it? I'm between liked it and hated it because I actually, I think like most women watching it, I love the aesthetics. If you guys see me with a different haircut, it's because I was inspired by that movie. It was like, oh, the 1950s bangs, I kind of like that. Um, and I, I just liked seeing all the fashion. It seemed like a pretty sweet life. It's like, huh, this is idyllic. I didn't like the actual plot, though. It was confusing. It didn't make sense. And the movie is trying to send you this message that, you know, 1950s oppressive uh, women, like that's just, it was a terrible life. It didn't really seem terrible. And what's kind of ironic is that the men are made out to be the bad guys in this film. They're kidnapping women, holding them against these against their will in these uh, traditional roles. The men throughout the movie are all very doting upon their wives. Like there's not even any sexist remarks or comments really made of like, oh, you should lose some weight or like, oh, like, don't worry, this is men's work. No one makes any sexist comments. So really the message of the movie is that traditional roles in and of themselves are sexist. And it's like, if that's sexism, sign me up. That's, it seems r relaxing, great. I, I'm very confused as to how this is supposed to be a negative portrayal of the 1950s. I am also with where Lauren is, somewhere between liked it and hated it, and hated it because of the plot inconsistencies, because there were holes that they needed to fill throughout. But the traditional general, <laughs> sign me up, guys. Like, this is, this is where I don't really agree with what they're trying to say of, oh, this is so bad. Let, Shamika, let's go have some cocktails, right? Like, <laughs> let's sit by the pool. We can go shopping and put it on credit where they don't have to pay in the movie. And the men are taking care of their women. That's not a bad thing, ladies. We don't need to have it all and go out and, and do everything. But I, I really enjoyed the way that that you know that life seems idyllic in a in a certain sense, but the the plot inconsistencies overall. I would have liked a smoother movie if I could. Have Very that. confusing movie for me. Do you think you would have got bored with that life though, doing something every day over and over the same repetition? Mm -hmm. Yeah, but again, this the whole part of this is they didn't know that they didn't. They didn't, they, didn't, they, they didn't make this choice themselves. They didn't know that part. Well, I guess the thing is, like Jason was saying, like, yeah, they're doing sort of the same thing every day in that, you know, you've, you've got to cook, clean, your class, whatever. But our work is somewhat the same every day, right? A lot of people, even if they have the freedom to work, they're going to the same cubicle every day. So there's, you know, obviously people want freedom, like that, that's good and stuff. But I don't think innately the life of a 1950s woman is any more repetitive than a, a life of the average worker today. Especially it's like in the, the kids in the movie, spoiler, are not real. But especially if you add kids into the mix, there's, uh, there's going to be a lot less repetition because of that in and of itself. Listen, I only clean my house, you know, once a month. My maid <laughs> is there today doing some real cleaning. But in terms, you know, some of this is fictionalized. You don't have to clean your house every day. Maybe you got to make your bed every day, but but that's about it. The, the, this whole notion that, oh my God, look at all the happiness we've been denying women. You guys now get to go to work and be a slave for some company. I want to play this TikTok video of someone that I thought uh, wasn't even really directed at this movie, 
but it kind of makes the overall point that I think many of us feel is like, and, and, and I'll mention the Washington Post story after we watch this video, but let's, let's watch the video first. Welcome to 2022, where you can do anything a man can do. I am so excited to finally be here. You are going to love it. Feminism has done so much for women. Do tell. No more aprons, first of all. Oh, do we finally have a butler to cook for us? Oh gosh, no. You'll just eat pre-made greasy crap out of a bag on your way to and from work. I suppose that sounds convenient, so I get to work outside the home? Totally. You get to sit in a cubicle all day while you stare at a computer screen chugging coffee. So liberating, right? I suppose. I'm at work all day. Will we finally have a Rosie the Robot maid? <laughs> No, you'll still have to do all the cleaning. That's what your weekends are for, cleaning and laundry. Oh, and errands and yard work. Wait, so I have to work full time plus still manage my home full time? I mean, you want to have it all, right? Okay, but what about my husband? Is he amazing? What? No, you're not married. You live alone with your cat. What? You do date though, a lot. You can just have sex with whoever, whenever you want. That sounds kind of gross actually. Just pick them off of this app. What about pregnancy? Oh, there's this magic pill you take, totally wrecks your hormones, but keeps you from getting pregnant so you can, you know, knock some boots. The pill is magic? Well, it's mostly effective, but don't worry. If by chance you do get pregnant, you can totally just kill the baby by having an abortion. Why would I do that? So you can get back to work, duh. Someone has to fill that cubicle space. Okay, am I at least happy? Yeah, as long as you don't skip your antidepressant pill. Another magic pill. Gotta cope somehow. I think I'll just stay here. Get to have purple hair. <laughs> I love that video. That is amazing. The, the, the Washington Post, they have a very good uh, pop culture critic, movie reviewer, uh, Elise, Alyssa Rosenberg, I think is her name. I've followed her work for years. Uh, she wrote a very good review. The question that was too wild for don't worry, darling, to ask. So I pulled a paragraph from this. Now more than ever, it would have been exciting to see a director with wildest bona, bona fides pose the provocative question that don't worry, darling, hints at, but can't quite confront. What should feminism do about women who wonder if liberation is a bad bargain. And that's what that video is hinting at. It's like, we make liberation out to be this awesome, great thing. I get to do everything men can do. I get to have, and it's, I don't even think it's a good thing that men are promiscuous sexually. Again, that's like a new revelation for me in the last three to four years. I'm not gonna pretend like I was always thought this way, but I've matured and gotten smarter and figured it out. And now we've sold this myth to women that happiness comes through, you know, 100, 200, 300 sexual partners. That's what'll really make you happy. And it's a joke. It, it, it doesn't make you happy. It actually points to your insecurities and lack of discipline and stupidity more than anything. But anyway, Shamika, I wanna start with you. Uh, is liberation perhaps a bad bargain for women? 
I definitely think it is. I think that women no longer value what they brought to the table as wives and mothers. And I think that we can see in society how that's missing with everyone wanting to be the boss bitch or be in the boardroom or be in charge. There's no one really left to rear the kids and be present when they get home and help them with homework and make sure they interact with the children. It's like now they're being raised by TV and social media. So I definitely think it's a bad bargain to just want to be out here and be the man who wants to do that that was one of the things that I didn't like about the movie or that I kind of noticed the propaganda it was like as if it was saying women would have these great lives you know working 30 hours a week if a man didn't interfere or it was saying that a man needed the patriarchy or maybe misogyny so that he could feel important or successful and then I think it also painted traditional families, including gender roles, as being oppressive, forced, not real. So those were the things that I kind of took away from the movie that I thought, okay, this is propaganda. But I definitely love that video that we just watched. And my uh, middle daughter came away from the movie saying, this makes me want to be a housewife more than ever. Because she just kept saying, why can't she just mind her business? Why does she have to go out and see what's going on? I'm thinking, yes, just live the life. Tiffany, I want to turn to you just because you've admitted on this show or acknowledged on this show you were always kind of a jock and maybe didn't see yourself in traditional roles. Liberation, this whole women's movement, feminism, good or bad bargain for women? Um, I mean, I'm not for the whole you know, women in power thing. I think that women, I'm with Shamika on a lot of that with the children at home. Um, These days they just give them tablets to babysit them and no one's teaching them homework, no one's at home with them, but it's really hard. I work two jobs, so it's super hard. I have no other income, no, you know, not a man in my life to like help support me. So I do it all on my own. So it's very hard trying to live the role sometimes of, the head of the house, but I still like, you know, being able to have my freedom and be a woman and make those choices. So I'm, I'm literally middle of the road with all of this. Well, I think it's hard because, you know, as women, yeah, obviously we want choices, but I feel like the feminist movement is, they're kind of like, uh, like a a five-year-old toddler. You know, the parent says, you got to go to bed now. And the toddler doesn't want that. They want to be able to do whatever they want. But what the toddler ultimately doesn't understand is that it's in their best interest to go, go to bed. And even if given the choice, they may likely just end up wanting to go to bed anyway because they themselves are tired. And I feel like for a lot of women, it's like, okay, we've, we've become liberated. We have the freedom to do whatever we want. But does that mean we even want to make a different choice than we've been making historically? And Jordan Peterson talks a lot about this. In like these Nordic countries, Scandinavian, very progressive, where they have a lot of social equality, right? There's no gender barriers or whatever. Uh, the, people actually tend to gravitate more toward traditional roles, right? Uh, the disparities we see in different jobs and industries, it's actually higher in those countries when people are allowed to make their own choices. So, I mean, I don't think it's a, like a question of either or. Just because a housewife is a housewife doesn't mean she's less liberated. She's just choosing to embrace that part of life, uh, which is, I mean, it's, some people might say it's still feminist if she's doing that of her own volition, not because she's forced to. I don't think there's anything wrong with that. I feel like we've been told over and over again 
that liberation is here and it's going to make your life better. And you believe it because you've been told it so many times. But in that video, that 90 second clip that we saw, that's what I kept thinking of when I was watching the movie. It's this it's the story that the movie is trying to tell of look at how much better you're going to have it. But in reality, right, we're we're eating fast food. We're cleaning our houses on a quick weekend and we're not spending quality time anymore. And liberation has taken the quality out of life for a lot of people. I feel like that is this a true genuine relationship, a true bond that we have with people anymore? Or is everything just quick, fast and on to the next? That's what it feels like, at least in this society. But we're told we're supposed to really enjoy it. So we go around saying that we really enjoy it. One of the things I've said to men and women over the last few years, the biggest myth and the thing that's driving this country off the rails is the belief that you can have it all. You mm. cannot have it all. You just can't. And wise people figure that out and figure out what makes sense for them. But we've all been sold this myth that, oh my God, you can have it all. You can have a summer home here. You can have three cars here. You can have kids that'll be this and that. And, and the, the more you try to get and try to have it all, you start shortchanging everything. And that's mm -hmm. why our kids are unhappy. Our, that's why I think our kids, young people don't have respect for authority or adults anymore, is because they've watched the, their parents try to have it all and we're not giving enough to our families and that's what's, uh, you know, I, I look at all of this messaging and movies, it's all just anti-family and it, it, it drives me crazy and I, I look at our, someone, Lauren, I may have seen it on your page, I know I certainly tweeted out, there was a video, Live the TikTok put it out, of this Wawa store, I think, getting ransacked, or, uh, and, and it, it was just crazy. And, and all I thought of was like, this is a repercussion of no families. If, if you know, and because it was a bunch of black kids, not to racialize it, but you know, it was like 75% of our kids are growing up in single parent homes. This is going to be the end result. And, and so this whole myth that, oh yeah, single parent, and a government check are just as good as mom and dad really commit. It's not. And, and there are married couples that may as well be single as it relates to their approach to their kids and the home life or whatever. And we're not producing properly functioning young people. And there's no wonder why they're sitting in schools wondering, well, what gender am I? And what, because the parents should be defining life and everything for them. We've turned it over to the government and the educational system. And so I just, the whole myth of having it all is destroying us. Any, anybody else can chime in and then we'll. You know, family we'll, dinners back in the day were important. When you sat down, we all had to sit down together, finish our plate. I had to have a glass of milk with every, you know, every dinner before I could have another drink. Um, just being, sitting down as a family, I think that's very, very important. 
in a young child's life. That's one big memory I have. It was very structured. We had to have dinner together. But I think everyone's too busy and people don't have dinner together anymore. Yeah, and that's actually, I mean, even we were all just saying how amazing it is that in this movie, this fake world, they all have these dinner parties and everything. That actually sounds, that's one of the good things about this movie. It's like, okay, uh, you know, they're setting time aside to socialize with each other. It's not really kids in the movie uh, very much, but that's one of the things that, yeah, was also appealing about the movie. It's like, wow, look how much time they have socializing. Mm -hmm. that's I wonder just, if, that seemed see, foreign to me. It's like, you what? You brought up this no kids thing. I wonder if that's intentional a bit on per because this whole left is anti-kids, and I wonder if that was also part of the fan. And look how much better. Well, that's actually in the movie, remember, uh, Jack brings up the issue of like, why don't we have a baby? And she's like, eh. And in, in, uh, in the pool scene, she's also talking with Bunny. She says, we don't, we don't need kids. We're just happy with each other. So our, our little mm -hmm. feminist character, yeah, she is anti-kid. And you were talking about having it all. Well, you already mentioned Oprah. She was one of the famous people who would talk to housewives every day about you can have it all, but she would always say you can't have it all at once. And even Oprah herself never had children. Mm -hmm. So the thought of one Or a man. Or, right. The thought, though, of one of the most Having met Stedman, I can say successful, that. quote unquote, successful women in America doesn't have children, doesn't have it all. But in anybody's notion, if you say, oh, Oprah, she has it all. Everybody go, of course, Oprah has it all. Look at her. Look at her life. But does she Look really? Look how happy Gail makes it. Yeah. 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 Right. And, and I like Oprah, so I need to be careful. Go ahead, Shamika. Yeah, and people now are chasing materialism. When I look at my grandmother, she's still in the same home that her and my grandfather purchased together for their four children. They had three bedrooms, one bathroom, and they were happy. That was enough space. They made it work. And now that's not enough for people. You live in a house now with one bathroom. You almost act as if you're oppressed. And this is just wrong. And so now people are buying. I got to disagree with you there, Shamika. I got to just if I, if I lived in a place with one bathroom, that is oppressive. Yeah, two, I live by two myself. Bathroom minimum. I got three full baths. For just you. you can't Go ahead. I'm sorry. Yes, but I yeah, can. You do use them all. <laughs> yeah, but in comparison to, you know, me and my husband, we did have a four bedroom, three and a half bath house, but he worked like a dog to pay all of that because we, of course, wanted me home with the children. And it's just like now everybody can't do that. They can't have, like you said, have it all. Something is going to go lacking. But we chase materialism so bad to keep up with the Joneses. It's, you know, a lot of people feel like they have to have two people working to just have the finer things in life because no one wants to sacrifice. When I was at home, I had to learn how to do my hair myself. I wasn't just saying, OK, times are hard. You got to send me to the salon every week and send me to get my nails and toes. And I, like you have to make sacrifices. And sometimes that's what you do in order to be able to to actually be there for your children and nobody wants to make sacrifices anymore they just want a bunch of materialism and a bunch of things to look like they're living a life that they really aren't living thank you ladies awesome job as always uh made the show much better uh we'll end with tomorrow another lady uh, and that means we'll see you tomorrow Waiting for the countdown, coming off the breakdown, standing in line for freedom, looking for a breakout.
nothing in life like freedom Came like a fighter, striking like a ladder Making all this moves for freedom I want freedom No negotiation, my sister, no relation We all just wanna have freedom Sitting on a corner, never been alone I'm breaking my back for freedom Bless, we are living, get back We are receiving all the seed when we all wanna be free We want freedom I just want, I wanna be I just want, I wanna be